Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick, hello, Jason, hey, and all the way from Williamston, Michigan, the owner and brewer at Old Nation Brewing Company, Travis Fritz. Hey, guys, can you point on the hand where Williamston is? Sure, it's right about here. Okay, so it's kind of right in the middle of the palm. Yeah, it's in the middle the of the palm. As, yeah. as 96 goes between Grand Rapids and Detroit, it okay. is just a tick right in the middle, east right. of the middle. I was at a Zingerman's training the last two days, and uh, there was a girl there from Weberville. Weberville is where I actually live, yeah. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. So she was Do you know her? Explain. Probably. <laughs> Probably. It's a pretty small town. <laughs> uh, so she was explaining it. There's like four cities in a row or something like that, and they're all really kind of small. Yeah. And like, yeah, like, so Howell, which is kind of... I mean, in, in yeah. terms of those towns, a little bit bigger now. Mm-hmm. And then Fowlerville, Weberville, and Williamston. And then you get into, of course, the capital city of Lansing. And Weberville or, used to have Michigan Brewing Company, right, many years ago? It did, yeah. I think that closed in 2012. In yeah. fact, I'm sure it did. And, and it's, it was under, uh, like, what, like tax evasion or some shit? They were just like... <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of shit going on. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was pretty bad news. Uh, I, I worked there, actually. When I came back from Germany for a little while, I worked for, uh, for the owner there. His name's Bob Mason. Uh, and uh, and then again with him uh, through the Detroit Beer uh, Brewing Company before uh, we started Old Nation. We made a lot of lagers at a bunch of different breweries. Michigan Brewing Company was one of them <laughs> right before they closed. It was the first uh, company we brewed in that went bankrupt, but not the last. <laughs> <laughs> not because of us. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, bankruptcies aside, uh, let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about Old Nation. So sure. tell us about Old Nation, um, and then we'll start talking about the, the beers you brought with you. Sure. Um, well, Old Nation, as you said, is in the middle of, the, of, the, of a cornfield in the middle of Michigan. Um, I'm from around there. Um, prior to that, I worked in uh, Metro Detroit and downtown Detroit mostly for some time at the Detroit Beer Company. Um, and then we took uh, some of the beers there that had won, you know, some great American beer festival medals and whatever, and, and uh, got all puffed up about it and went off to different breweries and started uh, doing contract work. Which means essentially, I would go into those breweries for whatever, you know, like they would have trouble. I, maybe I'd help them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they just needed to fill some space. I would brew that beer there and we'd kind of sell it. We were sort of journeyman brewers before it was the cool thing to do. Um, like before, that's like Evil Twins' whole thing, right? Yeah, right. That's their whole thing, uh, right? So there are these like vagabond brewers um, now, and and that's g- great, I think. Um, but we were doing that out of a you know sort of a force of necessity um, back then. We're making almost all lager beers, really traditional continental uh, German beers that everybody is really kind of familiar with. Um, well, and well, sorry. what is so? Let's talk about b- lager versus ale, sure. real quick. So what, what, what's the difference? So um, there are two. Uh, main sort of groupings of beer, right? They can be ales or lagers. And there are a number, any number sort of, of, of different variations of ales and lagers under those two categories. So there are two main 
categories. Um, ales uh, tend to ferment warmer. Uh, yeast is uh, yeast are living organisms. Like any li- living organism, they tend to move faster when they're warm. Um, so the fermentation, while as perfect as it can be for an ale, is often incomplete from the perspective of a lager. So a lot more flavors that would come from uh, fermentation. They can be expressed as sort of banana or clove in the case of a German Hefeweizen um, or just some kind of spicy phenolics in the case of uh, sort of some Belgian beers like Saison's. Uh, lagers tend almost completely and entirely to be clean beers. That means the flavors that you get are flavors that you could identify immediately as yeast, right? Like baking bread, that kind of stuff. Um, malt, right? So there's the grain kind of flavors of baking, like caramel, maybe some chocolate, things of that nature. Not too much of that. Um, and then hops, really only for bitterness. They play a small role with regard to flavor and aroma, most commonly in lagers, although that can uh, change from brewery to brewery. Uh, but in any event, the lagers tend or have historically tended to focus on more subtle complexity than ales, which tend to be more the thing that kind of walks, uh, walks up and, and sort of punches you in the nose. So do you feel that <clears throat> lagers are harder then? Lagers are absolutely harder to make. Okay. Yep. There's no question about it. There's nothing to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Um, they're harder to make. They take longer. They're painstaking. They're expensive just because they take up so much of your real estate in your brewery. And are they appreciated? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so they're, they're gaining some appreciation. I think particularly on both coasts, the East Coast and the West Coast, um, we see Pilsners. Firestone Walker has a great Pilsner mm-hmm. they put out. In, some time ago, it's, it's very popular now. It's going pretty much all the way to the Rockies um, in, in sort of a big way. Lots of breweries on the East Coast that have been kind of sleepers making you know English-style ales, lighter ales, or mm-hmm. uh, continental-style lagers are doing very well now. Um, and even in you know states like Colorado, there are breweries who are dedicated specifically to making lagers. So wow. I think people are coming around. Um, but like anything, um, I think folks like something that kind of jumps out at mm-hmm. them and grabs them. And that tends to be what brings folks into anything. And yeah. beer, I think, is no exception. Um, and then they'll move into stuff that's a little – it takes a little bit more thought. Nuanced. Right? Yeah. Nuanced, right? And yeah. that's lager. It's just like anything else, like scotch and whiskey and anything else. So go, go through what you uh, what you're offering at Old Nation, um, and let, let's stay away from M43 for the moment. Yeah. So what else? What else do you have there? <laughs> Not a ton. To okay. be honest with you, right okay. now, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, at the pub we have uh, you know we keep twelve or thirteen taps on. Um, I do have a little pilot brewery there. It's a seven barrel brewery. Barrel's about thirty one gallons. The half barrel kegs that everybody's familiar with, two uh-huh. of those are a barrel just okay. for some scale. Um, so the little seven barrel pilot system we have right now is really just propagating yeast. It means growing yeast for the bigger forty barrel system. But occasionally we can put a beer uh, sort of on there uh, to serve at the pub. We've got a little cream ale on right now. So it's a light ale, a lot like a lager. Um, we have an old malt liquor that we made with Dark Horse that we've been cellaring that we opened back up. It's a barley wine, really. I mean, we, I mean, we made yeah, it like malt a – malt liquor sounds right? so much fun. <laughs> I mean, we made it like a malt liquor but with super expensive <laughs> ingredients and now it's a year old. So it tastes like a barley wine. Uh, you serve it in 40 ounces? I never, I never did. But actually, we—I mean, we—I spent two grand on a little cap. This is when—I uh, mean, it's a part of a longer story. But I spent two grand on a capper, four forty-ounce bottles, and I was that close to getting like an eighteen thousand-dollar truckload of forty-ounce bottles to put this in because we needed something to go right. This was before the M forty-three. <laughs> And uh, anyway, that didn't work out. We did cans, and that seems to have been a better choice. Which is funny because that rosé did uh, the forty ounce rosé. Yeah, and they just went nuts. You couldn't keep it on the shelf. Yeah, uh, because it's rosé. Because no yeah. one put right forty ounces of rosé. Sorry, yeah, because yeah. rosé is this cla- yeah, classy good. beverage. They're in a forty super ounce classy. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. That's a that's a <laughs> Instagrammable moment. Right. Like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. Um, so I mean, there, there there are a bunch of beers that we have on tap at the pub. There are mostly small batch. 
Um, a lot of them are beers that we've aged and we're putting out now because we're so tight on space and there we haven't been able to brew much new um, for a while. So really twice a month we'll come out with something new off the seven-barrel system. That'll stick around for about three weeks. Um, so that cycle is kind of an accordion, sort of a fair amount of beer, less beer. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we're, we're bringing new new tanks and a new pilot system here at the end of the year. We should be able to have a lot more styles on tap. Cool. Okay, so now I'm going to crack open this M43. Sure. Um, th- this here. So this beer, you're going to pour it. Absolutely, yeah. Just um, save that one for the glass. And so um, tell us about M43. Yeah. Um, and... and well, t- tell us about it first. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'd kind of suggested before that we were looking for something to work at Old Nation, right? It's a really big brewery. Um, we built it big because we've been doing this professionally for some 15 years. Um, and one of the problems that I always saw in breweries was the bottleneck that occurs when they have something that hits hard, right? They can't expand, and it's almost as bad as not having done anything of note in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, and so for that reason, we spent a little bit extra money and built a huge brewery. Um, that was problematic because we misread the market almost entirely when we went in. What year was well, this? This has been 2015. Okay. And can, you, can we talk about small versus medium versus large brewery? So what do you mean when you say you opened a large brewery? Sure. Um, so I, there's, there's, there's better nomenclature for that. It would be um, sort of brew pub, uh, microbrewery, and brewery. But that indicates a difference in licensing and all that kind of stuff too. Generally, breweries are around – most brewers are somewhere in between one and ten barrels, let's say, in terms of the brew length. Every time they make a beer, it's that much, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of breweries that are 15 barrels, 20 barrels in terms of their brew length. We started out with a 40-barrel brew length, an 80 and 120-barrel tickets. It was straight hubris, right? Um, but uh, it ended up working out for us with this M43. Anyway, we're, we're searching for something to do. Um, the Detroit Area Craft Beer Enthusiast page I had been introduced to maybe a week or two before. And so that that's a Facebook page. It's like a quote unquote secret group that you have to ask to be. Yeah, I don't think I'm in that one. Yeah, yeah. And so they they are like uh, it's about a three four thousand three or four thousand is where group. it's at. Um, and, and they um they kind of I, I don't know like push the discussion of craft beer in the area. They I I think that they yeah it's a community they, it's a community yeah you know? I mean it, it affects is some kind of organization you know what I mean I, they're not there's no you know head of it they're not there's no directives or anything but. Um, it's a place where not only does kind of um, you know this this positive or negative group think happen about beer, um, but also then that kind of group think is expressed at uh, liquor stores and bars and all that kind of stuff too. So ultimately, we found out after we had already done it, not trying, um, having a relationship with any of these beer groups is a powerful thing if you're doing it um, right. Um, and, and even at this late date, I, I can't really tell you how we did it right or wrong. Um, we just kind of started interacting with these guys. Anyway, they had, they had put up this post about um, these New England IPAs. Trillium and Treehouse at the time and still now were kind of the front runners of this style. Um, and they would said, you know, why doesn't anybody in Michigan do this? Um, and it sort of went on from there. There was a bunch of voodoo about what these beers were and were not. Um, and Nate, my brewing partner, and I had done a great deal of research into this style about five months before that. Our distributor had asked us for an IPA. Um, and we'd opened that place saying, you know, we're never going to make another IPA unless we absolutely want to. Like it's something that we desperately want to do, right? We had made so many IPAs in our careers. We're sick of them. And uh, <clears throat> as it happened, we thought these New England IPAs were interesting. So we went to the distributor with a, kind of a New England IPA. 
and uh, said, you know, look, we're going to turn you guys onto this. This is huge on the coast. This is going to be the next thing in Michigan. Check it out. And they said, we don't want any of that shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's not bitter. Nobody's going to understand this. Um, so this is two years ago or is this is last year? This would have been 20, yeah, it's 2016. So it would have been the spring of 2016. Because it was kind of tricky, I feel like, to find last year. Well, you know, we, ne- we didn't really start making it until October of okay. last year. It, it feels maybe like it's been around for, for a little bit longer than it has to us, too. Because I had it right before we went to Rogue One. And it was out, there's a brewery, or there's a uh, beer place out there, uh, out by MC30. So what, that's kind of Hall Road and something. But yeah, they had it. Okay. And I remember drinking it and being like, oh, this is weird. This is different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was the the, the reaction that the distributor was afraid of. Mm. But I think conversely to to what they expected, it ended up being, wow, this is different and I like it. Yeah. Um, But in any event, you know, we don't don't want this. So we were kind of stuck with 40 barrels of this IPA that we had to sell in the pub, which is a lot. That's 80 half barrel kegs in a pub in the middle of a cornfield that was doing okay. and uh, so uh, we kind of kind of ditched the idea. Anyway, the, there's this thread in the uh, Craft Beer Enthusiast page about this. They're talking about it. There's a lot of voodoo. I'm, I'm feeling like I should jump in, but I'm a brewer. I don't want to, and I've said this before, a lot of brewer friends of mine were like, dude, don't go anywhere near those guys. At all. Don't say anything to them. Um, just pretend you're not there. Let them say whatever they want to say. Just shut up and let them talk. They're going to eat you alive if you go in there. You know? <laughs> and uh, I mean, this is the overriding sen- sentiment, I think, to most uh, brewers. So uh, any, any event, I, you know, whatever, I got nothing to lose. We're not doing that great right now anyway. Um, let me jump in and start talking to these guys about this beer and see if from more or less the scientific perspective I can engage them at this somehow. point just to, just to be clear yeah. though the distributor had turned down your not the m43 pro- okay yeah but kind of like an earlier analog right just it, the right? new england ipa right okay so the one so for a little bit of context the one new england ipa that everybody knew about then is pretty much the same one that everybody knows about now which is called heady topper right? yeah. it's a little bit different from the m43 and trillium treehouse beers right so um, it was a little different but the idea was more or less the same so you were waiting in the conversation to talk about the style of beer not your the style yes. of beer yeah right. not me right yeah. i'd already given up on the beer but i was kind of well you know we did all this research yeah. i mean we actually put a fair amount in to it, uh, so here's what we, you know, here's what we learned. All right, okay. Um, and uh, as you know, instead of this response that we expected, which was, you know, go fuck yourself, you know what I mean? We didn't, <laughs> we didn't post this for you to, tell, you know, be some kind of arrogant asshole about this. Um, it wasn't like that at all. They were, you know, almost to a, you know, to a, to an individual, were really positive about me having come into the conversation. Blah blah blah. At the end of this whole thread, I had said, look, if you guys want to know more about this stab, you come out and we'll make one. With no other motive than just to do it, right? I mean, at least I'm, I know I'm going to sell seven barrels of beer if I do this, right? It's worth a Sunday. Um, so seven or eight of these folks came out on Sunday. We made this beer. Ended up the first batch wasn't exactly what they wanted. It was more like Heady Topper than these Trillium Treehouse beers. We had some samples of Trillium Treehouse brought to us by one of these guys. <laughs> figured it out uh, relatively quickly. And uh, by the second batch, it was more or less in the M43 as it exists now. So, so okay, so let's talk about... Trillium and Treehouse, yeah. and, and had it, so these are all like if if you're in the beer community, these yeah. are the these are the ones you search out, right? Absolutely, like yeah. The, the, those three Trillium and Treehouse are separate. Or they're, two, they're two separate. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, are, are there particular beers? I know Hetty Topper's a particular beer. What about yeah. what the other two are doing? Um, so Julius tends to be the most popular one. The Treehouse makes okay, right? and these are both beers that still, with the popularity of these breweries, you can really only get at the brewery. Yeah. You got to make that that kind of 
that that track. So where that so um Trillium Treehouse. Yeah. So where are the two of those located? So Eddie <laughs> New, Topper is New England. I should know exactly. They're where all doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I they're all up there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. So uh, and, I, and I'm embarrassed not to know, but I think maybe one's in Vermont. New England's good know, enough. Yeah. New England, yeah. Yeah. Those are small states. You don't, don't want to drive traffic matter. there. I get it. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so let's. You just made the comment that you have to go to the brewery to get you these to particular to the, beers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. That's it. That isn't the case with M43. So let's go through the. Uh, but let's start. Let's go back. Let's start to when you first released it, yeah. and then let's so, progress. Yeah. So right? release that first batch. The reaction was, oh, neat. You know what I mean? There wasn't <laughs> much else. Um, release the second batch. We're like, you know, I think we had been communicating with these folks, right? So we've kind of been saying, look, what we recognize this is mm-hmm. not what it was that you were asking for. Let's try and do it this way. And again, we'll, we know we'll at least sell, sell seven barrels of beer. Um, so we did uh, put that out on draft, and people really liked it. A um, couple of supporting bars, particularly in southeast Michigan, carried it and pushed it. Um, that's uncommon now, um, particularly on-premise, which means bar business, is uh, what, what we call kind of rotation nation now. It's difficult to get a lot of backing from any one bar and certainly from several bars because these guys are just pushing new beer through their tap all the time because it's what their clientele want. It's not bad that they're doing. It's just the way it is. Who backed you? Uh, it's one-eyed Betty's, absolutely. Okay. Rochester Tap Room. Cool. Um, and then a lots of those cats. Eight Degrees Play-Doh has been great to me, you know, for since they've been open. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's lots of guys like that that I had really old, kind of long relationships with from other companies. Got it. Um, who believed in the whole thing? We're like, look, you know, if you if you say so, and you've got these guys asking for it, we will, you know, we'll roll the dice and back this beer, which again is unusual anymore, right? So you were talking about this a little bit, yeah, uh, before we started. <clears throat> so it's a lot of that. It's kind of a, the old boys' club a little bit. Um, anyway, just to get the chance. But as it happened, a lot of people came and, and started drinking this beer, right? So the second batch, we did seven barrels. It was like 50 cases we did out of the pub just to see if it would work. We'd never done anything like that before. I'd never done a pub. Release wasn't kind of the kind of brewing that I was used to doing, right? But we did, and it worked. Um, you know, three weeks later, we did, I think, 100 cases. Sold out in an hour. I mean, as fast as we could pull it out of the back, people bought it. Wow. 200 cases the next month. Same thing. Now we're thinking, really, we had done this a couple months before. Now we're thinking, you know, shit, we got to spend some money, man. You know what I mean? We've got to buy a canning line. We, you know, this is before the first can release. Um, you know, we've got to scale all this up. This is an expensive beer to make. Before the first can release, it was in bottles before? I mean, I hand bottled it and put like salesman sample Stop. stickers on it just to, yeah. I mean, yeah. we had a bottling line, right? Okay. But we just didn't make a batch big enough to put on the actual bottling line. Okay, got it. I mean, we were still, we were, we were tight on cash, man. So making a 40 barrel batch of this is like two grand. So what makes um, this expensive? Is it certain degrees? The hops. The hops, really. Okay, got it. I mean, you know, the hops. Um, there's tons of expensive hops okay. in this beer. Um, and, uh, you know, they're hard to get, and there's a whole other, you know, galaxy of issues revolving around that. But for us at that time, we were just trying to get the scratch together to give it a rip, you know. And gambling. I mean, absolutely rolling the dice on whether or not this would last for more than two batches, right? Because the beer market is fickle, right? I mean, I can have all the people that I want backing me in terms of on-premise and off-premise retailers, but if I'm not backed by customers, ultimately, then I'm fucked, right? There's right. Nothing's going to happen. So um, that's that. That's what we ran into at that point, and 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 you know, again, getting the scratch around brewing a bigger batch now, forty barrels, right in January. January, for whatever reason, we do a three hundred case. Re- sorry, late December, last day in December, um, we did a I think a four hundred case release. 
Same thing. We couldn't have imagined, right? There were just people coming all day buying this M43. So I had it in December. I just double-checked, untapped. It would have been December, right? So maybe that first can release or maybe the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so wait, were were you – the like kind of like brewery thing to do is to impose limits. Yeah. Were you letting people buy whatever they wanted or were you imposing limits or what were you doing? Honestly, I, I, those first couple of releases, I, every time one person walked in the door, I was like, fuck me, man, this is really <laughs> happening. You know? And, uh, so no, because I, I just didn't, I anticipate the kind of response that we got, even as it was happening. I just wasn't, I'd spent so long kind of grinding out and banging my head into the wall making pilsners and beers that nobody gets super excited about but are really hard to make as this kind of starving artist vibe, you know, um, that I just was like, well, you know, tomorrow nobody's going to give a shit, you know, and tomorrow nobody's going to give a shit and so on and so on for months. And it wasn't until that last release in December, again, we did 400 cases in a, in a day, um, that I felt like well, maybe this is, you know, maybe I should look into getting a loan or whatever. We should, you know what I mean? Like this is actually maybe a thing. Um, so January, we start making plans with our distributor, right? The truth is, right, and any honest brewer will tell you this, you make a lot more money selling a case of beer out of your pub than you do selling it to a distributor, right? Mm. Um, and you have to set the standard in your pub for what you expect the beer to be on the market. So ultimately, you're getting, you know, three times in some cases the right, margin. Hold on. That's yeah. fascinating. So, yeah. back, so how does that work? So if you send a beer to a distributor, they pick the price? No. No. Well, okay. they are – they're able to if they wish. OK. Right? Uh, but if you have a good uh, good distributor or a distributor with whom you have a long relationship like we did with our distributor Imperial, you'll work collaboratively on it, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the, the distributor can't do anything more than strongly suggest a price. Not even really strongly suggest a price. Um, they can communicate that the brewery strongly suggests a certain price. But the individual or, or store or bar buying the beer can charge – there's no way that I can prevent them from charging whatever they want for it. Right? Higher. It's, it's elite, higher. Right. Yeah. Higher. Or lower. I mean, I, I can't tell them what to charge. As long as they're selling it for more than it costs to buy it, right. Right, right, they're right. not okay. breaking the law. Um, and if I'm telling them in any way there will be penalties for you not selling it at the price that I suggest, then I'm breaking the law, right? Mm. So all I can do is ultimately what we did, which is part of the story as we move forward. Um, January comes, make a deal with our distributor and say, look, I think this is a thing. Right. Um, I'm going to pick a bunch of places that I like, that I have relationships with. They're going to carry this beer. All these sales are guaranteed. Right. Um, so you guys don't have to worry about it. You're not taking any risks. Just take this beer, give it to the people I tell you to give it to, and then we'll go forward from there. I had a long relationship with this distributor, um, and they essentially did the same thing the retailers did. You know, okay, we believe in this. We, we believe that if you're putting everything out there, that this will work. So we'll back you to the extent that we're able to back it. Right. Uh, and they did. <laughs> and for the first couple months, uh, we were just fielding calls at the brewery and on my cell phone and emails of guys that were saying, look, you know, I'll, I'll give this a try too. You know, it seems like it's doing okay. And so that built in between December and, and maybe March. Um, and then in March, it kind of broke through that bleeding edge of craft beer geeks um, into a little bit more of the mainstream. Uh, and we began to make production of, you know, 80 barrels a month and then now 120 barrels a month and so on and so on. Now it's June and it's a real thing, you know. Um, and, uh, everybody seems to want as much of this as they can get. And we are now in June, about the middle of June, running this overbuilt facility at absolute maximum volume, making one beer, right? Uh, which is completely uncommon in the context of craft beer, right? Mm. But we had no real working brands, right? That would support a, a business as big as we made. Been fine for a, a much smaller brewery, but we took that big bite and that big risk. 
So we had an empty brewery and brewers with, you know, degrees and medals and, you know, 15, 16 years of experience uh, who were all ready to make as much beer as possible, right? So that is ultimately, I think, a part of M43 success is that when it became to the extent that that it exists is that when it became popular, we were able to just kind of, as long as we could get the scratch around to get the raw materials, we could make the beer, right? And as we move forward, really because of, you know, the revenue that we generated off our first couple of case releases, we were able, so thanks to the people that came all the way out to the middle of nowhere to buy this beer, we were able to continue making it and growing the brand as organically as it ever happens, I think. Um, you know, and I think people dig on that and, and, and really kind of dug on that then too. I mean, there, there were folks that were able to watch this brewery go from making some beer that nobody really gave a shit about to making this one beer that everybody seemed to give mm-hmm. a shit about, right? Um, and now it's just kind of been like that until today. We've invested more money. We get more tanks and more volume. So uh, I, I read in, I think it was a, might've been an MLive article Could be. Uh, uh, about you guys were, a small producer, relatively small, like yeah. in terms of the scale. Yeah. And but th- this beer pushed you in like the top ten. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a it's a difficult oh, chart. A, it was the chart by the free press. Is the free press? Yeah. Maybe. Okay. It's a, it's a qualified metric, right? Okay. So uh, the qualification is that uh, among breweries, uh, among the beers sold in Michigan by Michigan breweries, then we are firmly in the top ten. Um, among breweries and total volume nationwide, we fall a little bit farther behind, but not too far out of outside of the top ten. Was this nationwide? Nuts. This beer? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. no. But I mean, we're being courted. Everybody just went to. I was in fucking Peoria like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> out of distributor like Philadelphia, which is maybe cooler. Yeah. And um, sorry, Peoria. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, are you really being courted if you're in Peoria? Yeah. Oh, believe me, that's all Illinois, right? Except for Chicago. Who cares about Chicago, right? Yeah. It's no big deal. There's not. I mean, there are like people there, I guess. But um, anyway, so we were. Uh, I'm joking that I, I love Chicago. Uh, please call me Chicago. Send your complaints to no, Chicago's great. Um, so anyway, uh, we're, we're being courted uh, all around, but we don't have the capacity to supply demand in Michigan, right? We don't even know what demand is at this juncture. So, okay, so let, let's roll this back a second because yeah. this beer, um, due to its style being an IPA, yeah. it's meant to be drunk fresh, right? So, and at one point, I, I, I may have read this in the, in the – uh, Detroit area craft beer enthusiast group. Sure. Um, your vision of the beer when you give it to a store mm-hmm. is to be kept in the refrigerator, right? Right. right. And explain why that is. Right. Um, well, it's an it's an unfiltered beer, right? Um, and much like a Hefeweizen, a German Hefeweizen is a wheat beer. It's cloudy, a lot like this. Um, it is. Uh, it, it's not absolutely necessary that this beer be kept cold. Um, but my idea is is this, right? I come from a pretty small town in the middle of Michigan, right? Like a lot of people, I kind of work my way up to here. And fourteen ninety nine for a four pack of beer is a lot of fucking money to spend, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if keeping it cold saves, let's say, an arbitrary fifteen percent of the quality, mm-hmm. it's worth holding out and really sort of doing the work to make sure that it is cold wherever possible, right? 
Um, it's true that in places like Meyer, they requested it and they had to put it on an end cap warm. So we worked a deal with Meyer where we restricted each store to two cases, which generally sold in a day or two, right? That's not particularly detrimental to the beer. If it's out for, you know, five, six, seven, eight days, that can be kind of bad. More than that is, is not good. But that's no more true for the M43 than it is for any beer with a great deal of aromatic, aromatic hops in it, right? Those hops die quick if it's warm. Um, or at a much faster rate than they do if it's cold. With with beer, are you playing paying like shelf space, like for shelf no placement? Okay, no, no, that's all that's all earned uh, either it. by just momentum, which luckily for us took care of the M forty three, or by you know kind of going into the trench and, and and putting on your brass knuckles sure. and fighting it up, which is what we did for fifteen years before this. Um, so it's a different, it's a totally different thing. So l- let's go back a second and talk about that. You said this is an unfiltered IPA. Um, yeah. The uh, I don't want to call it a complaint, but like th- th- I have talked to people that say that that uh, IPA should be filtered. Sure, and this is this is essentially an imperfection, and you're sure. and you're producing a beer that's not perfect. I, I hate the word perfect. No, 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 but, no, no. But, I don't. Okay, I, I use it all the time. Okay, um, right. And uh, perfection with regard to beer or anything with variation is dependent on context, right? So, um, first of all, most IPAs are not filtered. Most dry hopped IPAs are not. They're fined, uh, which means that there's a uh, there's a there's a uh, generally a fining agent, which is a liquid usually that is ionically charged uh, charged and grabs onto the yeast essentially as it falls down through the beer and drags the yeast to the bottom. That's simplified, but that's ultimately what's happening. Right, clears the beer up. Um, and that's great. You know, I think people are used to, particularly you know, people here in the United States are used to clear beer. Um, I also am used to clear beer where it applies, right? So Pilsner should be more or less clear. Um, most ales should be more or less clear. But again, in the case of a Hefeweizen or a Belgian wit beer, nobody wants those clear, right? Um, there are a lot of breweries in Germany particularly that make what, what's called Kristallweizen. Mm-hmm. Again, I'll say that the German Hefeweizen is uh, traditionally a very murky beer, right? A lot like these New England IPAs for the same reason quite often. Um, or some of the same reasons. <clears throat> in any event, there are breweries that will make these Kristallweizens, which are filtered wheat beers, and they do horribly, right? There are people with uh, kind of a sensitivity to B-complex vitamins, I guess, take it, or, or something else that's in yeast that's an allergy. Uh, but outside of that, nobody really likes it because it doesn't look like a wheat beer is supposed to look, right? Um, and to my mind, that's the same as as this beer, right? But I get it. Right, because I was also a super dogmatic, high science uh, brewer. I mean, I learned how to brew at the technical university in Berlin, and I was an apprentice in Germany and Central Europe for a long time before I came back to the states. Right, and that everyone does that, right? <laughs> no, no, nobody does it. <laughs> so has, does anyone else in the Detroit area has anyone else done that? Um, I don't. Well, I couldn't tell you for a fact. Um, I don't think so. Uh, Ken Baylau went to the Weinstefan, which is kind of Harvard to where I went, Michigan State. Um, but uh, not that Michigan State is bad. I love Michigan State. I'm a Spartan. Uh, but it is no Harvard, of course. And uh, so uh, he brewed for a long time. I think he's back to selling filters. He's one of those guys who can do pretty much whatever he wants. Um, but no, there, there's not a lot of that. Because what? So I was I was at uh, dinner before I came here yeah. and chatted with one of your uh, your associates. Yeah, and he was saying that you are this artist that is super underappreciated that can kind of do whatever he wants, and it's like you. You know that what you're going to do is like gold, and I, I I know I'm sure he's I'm probably talking a little too high, but it's like I think he's kind of saying like you guys are super underappreciated for for what you're doing out there. Well, I, I couldn't say 
Uh, if uh, we felt underappreciated when we were going broke, for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think those folks that were going to appreciate what it was that we were doing uh, appreciated it, right? Um, those folks that are, I mean, I make I, I came from music, right? So, so I make this allusion to music quite quite often. Is that um, did you study music at Michigan State? I did not study music. Okay. At Michigan State. I played a lot of music at Got Michigan it. State. Okay, <laughs> uh, um, but. Uh, um, you know, folks like jazz, right? There aren't that many of them, right? And often your jazz fan is not going to love to listen to punk, right? Um, because jazz is subtle and it requires your attention and it requires you to really not be doing anything else, right? It can be background music or it is the music that you're absolutely focused on when you're listening to it, right? If you enjoy it. Um, I think classical music is the same, but I think that it takes a little bit more time, practice, and exposure to appreciate that kind of music, right? Whereas punk is loud, man. It's brash. Everything is happening all the time. Is it good? I, you know what's good mean, right? It's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and for us, we were kind of like jazz and classical players. We were doing the kind of beer that is hard to do and doesn't really impress anybody. For a lot of folks, it was like jazz is. It's something you'd hear in the elevator. You don't care about it. You don't listen to it. You wouldn't examine it. You know what I mean? Um, and it wasn't until we kind of went, all right, well, this is actually interesting to us, both from a scientific and a food science or in a kind of a production perspective, that we would um, begin to make this kind of beer that we call, we always call disco beer, right? It's here now. Nobody gives a shit about it in mm-hmm. eight months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that this was the first of that kind of beer that we were actually like, God, that's really interesting, man. Like that's hard to do, right? Like it's hard to pull off because it has what are traditionally considered imperfections. So for example, every beer that I made in Germany and damn near every beer, every beer I've made since I got back from Germany avoided almost everything that is, that makes this beer what it is. Right. Um, Although having said that, there's a lot of stuff that we put into this uh, beer that goes into technique from from other styles that we've made and other disciplines that we studied that make this beer – that make M43 what M43 is, right, for better or worse. Um, that were newer techniques that we just sort of intuited based on the beers that we were drinking of the style from the East Coast. I don't want to ramble too much. No, no, no. <laughs> no it's great. And, and, and so – and not so M forty three happens. Yeah. And so now you have this whole new Orthodox series, right? Yeah. And uh so you brought a couple other ones with you and let's talk about this uh the Fine Stranger. Yeah, the Fine Stranger. Um interesting uh from a non sort of brewer's perspective, it's uh, we are have been assured it's the first beer that was named by a neural an artificial neural network. I was advised to say artificial. Um so a uh, computer named this beer. Um <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> So um, there are these things called neural networks. There are people that are kind of training computers to do a kind of thinking. I'm not a computer guy, so I don't really know. Right? This is too much. It's machine learning. It's, it's machine like, learning. Yeah. Right? All right. Um, and uh, there's a there's a woman who uh, you know contacted us um, and said, "Look, you know, if you're looking to name a beer, you know, you guys seem to be doing really well. If you're looking to name a beer, we know it's hard. Why don't you let us give it a shot?" Right. And in truth, it is hard to name beers. Uh, that was my question. Right? <laughs> I was like, Wait, why is it so hard to name a beer? Right. Well, I mean, what? I mean, I think unless you start, there are a lot of guys that start. Where did M forty three come from? Uh, the road outside the brewery. Okay, M forty three. That may have been obvious, but I was like, man, what are we gonna? Oh shit. <laughs> um, but I mean, a lot of beers are named like that for us, right? right? I mean, there are a lot of guys that start with the name. I think that's a maybe a little bit bush league, you know. I'm going to call this, you know, Bertha's Big Whatever, you know what I mean? 
Right. Well, because aren't there like a lot of names that are like gone? Yeah, for no doubt. Right. No, but a lot of them are those kind of crass, ridiculous names yeah. that reference asses or whatever they reference. <laughs> And um, but a lot of them are kind of the strong traditional names that you want to use. I mean, for example, Boxer is one of the beers in this series. We have to rename the Boxer, right? Um, before we release it again, uh, that shit happens all the time. Well, oh, because there's another Boxer. There's another Boxer. Yeah, there's oh. a, there's a large brewery that makes a lager in the Canadian market called Boxer. We didn't know. Oh, okay. so so you released it not knowing that they already had. I released it not knowing that they already had that beer. Okay. Um, And also understanding that, look, it's probably a common name. Somebody might have it, but we're selling it in the Michigan market. And who knows, you know, when we came up with that beer, if any, we didn't even know the M43 was going to be happening. Um, But as it, as it happens, we have to change the name. It's not that big of a deal. Right? Yeah, but you're doing it as like good beer stewards, not because you got like an evil cease and desist. Yeah, I mean, we were advised that there was already a name, and yeah. we said, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, and that, was, that was pretty much the end of it. Okay. Um, but, uh, but, but I think that um, for us, it's not really um, when the name of the beer becomes the focus, right, that we're then moving our focus away from. Marketing. All marketing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Our focus is making a quality product in the can, right? Marketing is something that now, luckily for us, with the success of the M43, is kind of happening by itself. Um, so for us, we just needed a cool, solid name, right? So great, you know, take that cup from our lips, have your computer name this beer. Sounds great. Um, and she came back with this list of names. Uh, my favorite was a shit farmhouse ale. The computer got like that, right? As she, uh, as, as she, she sort of expanded the computer's ability to, to, to improvise. And it just started swearing and coming at like, I like really like dogs for a minute and then like tables were a thing. Uh, one of my other favorites was the Silent Plow. This was almost going to be called oh, the Silent. Which ooh, is pretty that's great. That's yeah. almost deep, right? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, the Fine Stranger was the one that we liked, so we picked that one. So that's that's one thing about this beer. Um, and the other thing is that we're using a saison yeast in it for kind of food sciencey reasons. If you let me know if you want me to talk about that, do, do, yeah, go okay. for it. Yeah. So um, there, there we accept at Old Nation that within this style, right, we take. On face that it is its own, that it is a style and it's a valid thing, right? So that allows us then to create a box within within which we can work, right? Let's figure out what's essential to this beer, that this style of beer that makes it what it is, so that we have room to fiddle around and not completely, you know, fuck the dog. And um, one, is that another beer name? That <laughs> completely fuck the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't see why Computer, what do you say? <laughs> right? That sucks. <laughs> but uh, in any event, there's um, so uh, the the three pillars as we understand them of this style uh, are um, the the mouthfeel, which tends to be soft and kind of kind of silky, pillowy, they call it. Um, hop aroma, which is really important in hop flavor, right? That the focus of the beer ultimately is the aroma and flavor of the hop, and everything else in the beer works in concert in order to accentuate that. Um, and one of the things that causes that mouthfeel is the production, the natural produ- production by yeast of uh, something called glycogen. It's a sugar alcohol. Um, glycogen tends to give that sort of silky mouthfeel uh, in concert with uh, calcium salts that we're adding to the water. Everybody adds those calcium salts to their New England IPAs. They give it. They help to give it that pillowy mouthfeel and spread the bitterness a little bit. Anyway, um, the grain bill for saisons, uh, the saison yeast is what we used in this case, uh, are similar to what we're using in the uh, in the bulk of our New England IPA recipes, in that they include wheat and barley malt and oats uh, and rye. Um, the the hot bills certainly are not, but the yeast is a significant. Um, 
producer of this uh, of this thing that we're looking for, right? Of this glycogen. And uh, so we thought, well, why not, right? We can match up in some ways the kind of clove aspect of this yeast. This yeast is an ale yeast and produces this phenol um, called, I think, four vinyl call that is clove, expresses as clove. So we thought, cool, man. Well, there are hops that would pair well with that, we think. Australian hops particularly called Vic's Secret and a German hop called Mandarina that uh, also would kind of accentuate that same thing. Sorry, that also would accentuate that same thing. So – um, we used that yeast in a modified grain bill and hop schedule and came up with the Fine Stranger. It's different, right? It's not the same as the rest of this series. The nose off the bat is super intriguing. Nuts, right? Yeah. It's deep. There's more than one. It's not just like orange or grapefruit, you know? It's like, to me, it almost It's is, like dried apricot or something right. or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh... We had, we asked the community to ask some questions, yeah. right? And I think we one, made a one fancy fixes. video. You really we did. did. You're downplaying yeah, it. You did. I, okay. We spent yeah, we a did. good 15 minutes making a video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we had to drink M43 on video, and I had to I had to do like a slow. We did a slow mo little thing where <laughs> I was like, if you looked close up, you could see all the um, the unrefined like the beer particles like going in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beer particles. Yeah. <laughs> we always want to put beer particles in people's mouths. That's Old Nation's motto. So uh, Evan Haskell from uh, The Bourbon Show, um, he asked, how long after canning can you wait to drink? And so, because I think, it might even say on the can, drink this fresh, yeah, right? Because people have a tendency to, to hoard and save beer. Right. Um, so is is it all the same, even with the Saison, is it also like the Saison yeast? Does that allow a extended shelf life or no? No, no, okay. not necessarily. Um, so it's... Uh, so we we, have, we are concerned as brewers with two different kinds of stability when we package beer and sell it on the market, right? We're concerned with biological stability, which is the ability of the yeast cell to stay intact and for no other bacterial contamination to be in the beer. That's biological stability. Non-biological stability has to do with the natural degradation of the food products within the beer, right? So oxidation, for example, is a, non, is a non-biological stability issue. Um, there are a number of other non-biological stability issues, the most important of which to this kind of beer and any beer that's heavily dry hopped, aroma hopped, is that those, there's always a small trace amount of oxygen in any beer. You want none to be in there, but there's always a little bit. So that the can is... There's no oxygen can get into the can. That's airtight. It, it should, no oxygen can get in the can once it's been sealed, but, but some will be at least elementally in the can okay. or the beer, right, as it's filled. Um, and that sort of intense degree of aroma hops that are in this beer, which are also in West Coast IPAs and other kinds of IPA, right, um, will tend to degrade. <clears throat> so if the question is, is it a bad beer after some amount of time? No, right? It's just not as intense. And again, for me, it was really important uh, at 14, 15 bucks a four pack to let mm-hmm. folks know how best to sure. enjoy this beer, right? It would be way easier for me to make thousands of cases in March and put them out on the market and go, yeah, if I put it on the floor, I don't care, man. I just need to sell beer, right? Um, instead, we held way back until we were able to establish that this beer needed to be cold and folks were asking for it and saying, look, I'll keep it cold if you give it to me. Um, and that allowed us then to keep the beer fresher and serve the customers better. There are a lot of stores that didn't, right? And again, once they buy it, there's nothing I can do. I can't even not let them get it the next time. Um, but what I can do is communicate to these beer groups that you should expect to buy this cold and you should expect to buy this around $15 and let them ultimately do that ah, dirty work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to I want M43 so bad. 
but I'm not going to buy it for you from you because it's 18.99 and it's warm. Yeah. Right. And that happened. That was great to watch happen. Right. That these people took control of their own ability to drink fresh, good mm-hmm. beer. Um, Anyway, it was, it was fantastic. I've never seen anything like it before. It's cool. That's in the bourbon groups. It's kind of similar to this idea of like store shaming people, yeah, retail locations right. that are gouging or well, uh, 90, not to, treating in the product properly. And, right. And eighty, ninety percent of these folks were happy. I mean, they, you know, these guys aren't bad guys that own beer stores. They're not trying to screw mm-hmm. up the beer that they're selling their competitors. Sometimes they just don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? No other brewery has asked them to do this. So the question always was, as it is now. Well, is that because it's infected or because the can's going to explode or is it, you know, is it going to be bad in three weeks? And the truth is, no, it'll be just like any other IPA warm in three weeks, which is not as good as it was cold the first day it got to the store. Um, so ultimately, you can say as a rule of thumb, the degradation in a warm beer is about 10 times what it is in a cold beer, right? Hmm. Wow. So three days out is about like 30 days in the fridge. So, so when, you, when, when this gets shipped uh, – I mean, and making in such large pr- production, yeah. you're, you send it to a distributor. Yep. Um, how long do you give them to get it out to stores? Again, the law states, I have, once it leaves my door, it's not my beer anymore. Okay. Right? We make these deals with our distributor minute to minute, right? And that is essentially now, it's no problem that there's, uh, you know, that, that, that they, they're taking a bunch of beer, it's gone in a couple of days. We don't really have to monitor that. Um, and they know the importance, like the retailers now do, of rotating this beer and making sure that it's fresh when it gets to the retailer, right? But they don't want that blowback either. Um, so it's the education, ultimately, to the extent that we educated and they didn't educate themselves, the consumer, um, to request that this beer be taken care of all the way through the process. That's the kind of the valuable and surprising thing about this whole thing to us. Nice. So I'm going to uh, – we have a third uh, third of the new Orthodox series here. This is a Boss Tweed. Now, this yeah. is a double IPA. Yes. Which, you know, uh, we can answer a question while we're doing that. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Because Rebecca Morrow of the Bartenders Guild sure. um, says in the new Orthodox series, what are the other beers? Right. Right. Uh, Boss Tweed is one. Okay. Uh, the Fine Stranger is another. Uh, Greenstone is yet another at uh, sort of 5.5% ABV. It's rye. Uh, forward, so spicy Michigan hops we used as an experiment to see if they would work. What um, hop farm? Uh, so Top Hops is the broker Top that we hops. got from. Yep, I just went there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and 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 some good stuff there. Although Top Hops is 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 neither the only nor necessarily mm, sure, sure, the sure, forerunner sure. Yeah. of of Michigan hops. There are a lot of great ones. Um, but in any event, we use those for that. So uh, Boss Tweed M forty three Fine Stranger Greenstone the. You know, the artist formerly known as Boxer. We haven't decided on a new name. That's and not a bad name. Yeah. Well, we can't, we can't okay. go near Boxer anymore. You know what I mean? Now we already, we already, we already tripped over the thing on that. Um, but in any event, so those five beers are part of the series. It looks to us like probably um, M43 and Boss Tweed will be the two standouts for the winner that we'll actually be able to produce to any volume. Uh, we plan to and intend then to produce Greenstone in the spring as a lighter version mm-hmm. of this style. Um and that's really what we're doing with the New England IPAs. Boxer, we'll see. I mean, folks like it. It seems to be bigger in Ohio than it is here in Michigan. I don't know why. Mm. Um, because we don't sell this beer in Ohio. Um, but uh, that will probably end up poking its head out. The Fine Stranger was kind of a one-off intentionally. But, well, you know, if it does well, then we'll make that too. So l- let's discuss this whole – this is a fad? Or is this something that you think has legs? In I think terms it's too early to tell. Too early yeah. to tell. Yeah. I mean – I. It's. It feels certainly like it's just a new kind of IPA that folks like. 
Um, I mean, I, I I can say that as you know, in terms of single package sales, right? One sixteen ounce can, four packs, right? One package. Um, this is selling as well as all but four or five brands here in Michigan, and those are all wow. legacy brands, wow. right? And not only is it selling that well, it's mostly selling out. Um, so in, I think still, and now this is anecdotal, I've been out in the market for the last couple of weeks, but um, it seems to me like about 60, 70% of the folks that get it are out of it before their next shipment comes, right? Um, maybe more. And so, um, again, we don't know where the ceiling is on demand for this brand or if it'll die out over the winter, but it certainly doesn't seem like... A fad, right? You can talk about like black IPAs with Cascadian dark ales, you know, and um, you can talk about them and how they were kind of popular for a heartbeat, you know. But nobody was making ten thousand barrels a year of black IPA in Michigan, you know. Are there other are there other Michigan breweries that are are rushing to? Yeah, hit? tons. And, and actually, there were some that were making it before we were. And oh, they're okay. doing a hell of a job. Witch's Hat is a great example mm-hmm. of that in South Lyon. They make. Uh, uh, this guy, that guy, and deflowered are their three. Um, great beer. I mean, truly. Uh, Transient makes Juices Loose and a number of other ones that are also very, very good. And there are other breweries that have kind of since um, those became popular um, sort of sort of come into the, to the fold of New England IPA making. And I think most of them are really good, right? Not all of them taste like the M43, which is cool. Um, not all of them really taste like Trillium or Treehouse, but – too hearted when it came out didn't taste mm. like mm-hmm. you know anything coming out of California either and that was kind of its strength right right when we came out with M43 the first time do we don't need a break or anything right now okay mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nervous no, I'm watching we're plowing right I'm watching for this. what I gotta stop talking yeah. <laughs> um, so when the M43 came out there were a lot of folks that said particularly the first batch look this is not like Treehouse or Trillium right and even through until now, there are folks who are, well, you know, it's not at the level of Treehouse or, or Trillium. And, and not a lot of folks say that anymore, honestly, because we've gotten a lot of love from the East Coast, too, and breweries like Trillium and Treehouse. Um, but we always felt like, I mean, you know, people are going to say what they're going to say, and they're totally welcome to have their own opinions, but we felt like that was unfair. Of course it's not like Trillium or Treehouse. So, and that is, that is a question right. from, uh, from Megan, world-famous baker. She's saying, um, <laughs> why, uh, what do, why, like, why do people hate it? Like, why are people upset by this style? Um, well, I think I, th- I think because it caught on so quickly, um, and I think that a lot of brewers, a lot, it's, you'll notice that it's folks folks that talk to brewers, professional brewers or home brewers, right, that hate this the most, um, and that's because a lot of those guys kind of missed the boat, I think, uh-huh. and so a lot of them are saying, well, you know, that's lazy beer; it's just unfiltered and underattenuated, and you know, you got to be a joke to make that kind of beer, right? And why is it hazy? Right, it's hazy for three reasons. Okay. Right, um, we're adding uh, calcium salt um, to this, which is a naturally occurring calcium salt. We're just mimicking other water profiles, essentially called calcium chloride. Right, the chloride ion um, within that helps to suspend the yeast in really simple terms. Right, um, so there is more yeast in this than there would be in a normal IPA. You can let it sit forever; it just doesn't drop out. Um, the, the additional reason that it's hazy is the same reason that a Hefeweizen beer is hazy, for example, or a wit beer, which is that it has a great deal of protein from wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of the New England IPAs and ours particularly, that's, uh, that's expanded upon and increased by the presence of lipids, so fats from the oats. Um, so there's a bonding that's happening over polyphenols from the hops, protein from the wheat, and fat from the oats that's creating the semi-permanent haze in addition to this yeast in more suspension because of this calcium chloride addition. Um, and I'm happy to say that 
openly <laughs> um, just to try and tell folks that aren't already biased that this is I mean, I, I'm not trying to fight for New England IPA right I like making this beer mm-hmm. this isn't the only beer I know how to make I've made dozens of other beers I've won medals for Bohemian Pilsner at the Great American Beer Festival this is not the kind of beer that I was wired to make right it's just really interesting yeah. right and playing with all this stuff is kind of like walking a little bit on the edge there's no adjuncts in this beer in terms of flavorings mm-hmm. You know, there's no juice. There's no flour. There's none of the shortcuts that it takes to make a beer like this, but not this. Um, so it's really about execution, ultimately. Um, and we're using, you know, maybe half the hops that a lot of folks that are making these kind of beers are making, too, because we're using different kind of older techniques to right. do it. Well, that, that question was yeah. from Ray. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Um, we kind of have one and a half more um, from uh, Ronald is, um, you know, Basically, why can't he get an unlimited supply of this beer whenever he wants? Right. <laughs> well, if he lived in beautiful Williamson, he absolutely could. <laughs> All right, so move. Yeah. Right, so move. Yeah, move, Ray. Uh, <laughs> no, we have. Uh, uh, we are making as much of this beer as we possibly can. It's not that you can't, so you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If you try a little harder. Right, 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 right. Just get there at noon on Tuesday. How hard is that? You know, you know if you got a job, just call off. Last question yeah. um, from Al. And uh, this might, if it, this is too deep, just yell. Yeah. He says, as a hop head and a home brewer, can you tell him the starting and final gravity reading? Of M43? Yeah. I can tell him the starting and final gravity reading of darn near any ale that, you know what I mean, would attenuate like this with an ale yeast, which is ultimately around 17 OG, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Play-Doh, right? Okay. We don't use specific gravity as professional brewers. And it's finishing somewhere around four. There you go. There you go, Al. Uh, so Great American Beer Fest yeah. last week. Yes. Were you guys there? We were not. Okay. No. No, we're working. <laughs> <laughs> but is that something like – is th- this style even considered – No. It's not? No. Uh, well, it is – it will be next year. Right? Okay, good. So it okay. is technically its own style now. So, so it's the, legitimate then. This is this is all nonsense. I like mean, People will say – I mean, is it legitimate that we are selling so much of well, this beer? I mean, exactly. I mean, I think there's already some legitimacy there. Um but yeah, I mean that's kind of the the at least for home brewers, right? If it's beer judge certification program approved, which is the, you know who makes these categories, then it's now like a thing that they can they can deign to do if they want to, I guess. Um, but I again, I think we're going to see a lot more of these beers kind of come out, right? And they're not. There, there, there are a lot of good examples that are nailing it, as I said, right? Yeah. There, there are a lot of examples of guys that, again, are just kind of going, well, I don't know, you know, a bunch of oats, a bunch of hops, don't filter it, and then that's a New England IPA, right? And those guys aren't selling much New England IPA because that's not really very good. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that you have to do to make these beers work and pop and, and, and hold and, and be stable and all that kind of stuff. So We'll see. Travis, yeah. thank you for being with us. Of course. Uh, Tell everyone where – so Williamston, Michigan, yep, Williamston, Old Nation Michigan. Brewing Company. Yes, where sir. are you guys online? Uh, so oldnationbrewing.com is our website. Uh, Facebook at Old Nation, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wish I knew more. Um, I, we have an Instagram account. I don't manage it. Uh, um, but I do do a lot of the communication on the Facebook page. So if anybody wants to reach out, that's a great way to do it. Uh, we all see the messages. So if one comes to me directly, they'll throw it to me and I'll – Almost always answer. So M43 is only available in Michigan now, but maybe somewhere else in the near future? We promised our distributor, and I feel really strongly about not moving outside of the state of Michigan until we've come somewhere near or at least have identified what demand is. Right? Awesome. Well, we wish you all the best, Travis. Thanks Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Until next time, dine well, friends. Yeah.